Amplify Her Voice is for women who want to break through the glass ceiling. We want to celebrate their successes, elevate their voices, and tackle the challenges that they face. We share stories and talk about challenges because our shared experience can lift others up. I'm your host, Megan Conahan, and this is Amplify Her Voice. Hello, everyone. Today on Amplify Her Voice, we have Natasha Mulla. Uh, she is the chief marketing officer at Gijo. Gijo is this amazing company, uh, and they've created this really wonderful live personalized fitness platform. But I'm not going to talk too much about it. I'm going to talk. I'll let her talk about it a little bit more in just a minute. So, hey, Natasha, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's, it's great to be here and chatting with you. I know. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, I'm really, really happy that you're here on our kind of premiere episode of Amplify Her Voice. Um, And Natasha and I actually met through this really wonderful organization, Chief. Um, And Chief is pretty much just a network focused on, you know, connecting women leaders, kind of born out of that idea that for a long time, women really had to go it alone. So it's really just a network for women that we can lean on each other. We can build our own support system so that we're not so reliant on the traditional boys club. Um, love chief. You love it. They're absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, so before we get started, I am going to throw a little bit of a curveball at you. I was thinking okay. about this earlier today, and I wanted to mm-hmm. get a, an idea from you. Right now, I'm looking for kind of like some new books to read, and I was just wondering if you had anything right now that you absolutely love or you finished reading recently. Um, and if not, I will also take show recommendations because I'm always just like, Literally, there's nothing else to do, so I'm just reading books and watching shows. Yes, great question. I do have one. It's actually it's a trilogy. I'm in the middle of the third book, but I really recommend it to people. N.K. Jemison's Broken Earth trilogy, which is is a science fiction, but it has so much cultural relevance. It's so well written. She creates this incredible world. And even if I, even if you're not somebody that traditionally goes for a sci-fi book, I, I really think it's a great series. Um, and I'm in the middle of the third one right now. So um, I just, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So I would recommend that. That's, that's a, a big one on my list. That's really good to know. I feel like I always go back and forth between like professional development books. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm so professional development out. I need like fiction or sci-fi or something. So I try to like toggle back and forth. So that's going to be next on my list. And sometimes, I mean, a good fiction book, well-written, can really reflect on culture oh, in, yes. a, in an incredible way um, that you can't do in an otherwise sort of nonfiction, you know, story. Um, so that's why I think, you know, that's why this one comes to mind for me. And so if you, you know, if you're in, if you're interested in something that's really um, really makes you think, but is also an incredibly fun story and exciting, this is a good series. Okay, ne- this is yeah. definitely next on the list. I yeah. yeah, I'm I have a couple that I've been wanting to read, and I like when it's one of those times where you can't decide. You're like, okay, should I go this or that? So I've been asking people their opinions. Yeah, and I'm an avid audiobook person, and with the uh, the transition of working from home and not commuting. I have lost a lot of the time that I used to utilize with audiobooks. Um, 
so, but I, so I'm like finding new ways to like indulge in that with like, and with like, while I'm cooking and while I'm doing other things, but a good book, like particularly, you know, during these times is, is needed. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I used to do like podcasts or audiobooks on the way to work. And now it's, I'll do it working out or something. And sometimes it'll, it's good because it'll make me work out longer. I'm like, oh, what's next? What's happening next? Okay. I guess I'll do like 50 more crunches or something. Yeah. Or, or just <laughs> yeah. stop crunches and like just listen to the book. And just listen. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Natasha, um, you know, I would love if we could start by you just giving kind of a quick background on, you know, who you are and your career journey. And then of course, I want you to talk all about all this great stuff you guys are doing at Gijo. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, who I am, I'm, I'm Natasha. I'm a, you know, I like to say about me that I like to, I'm fighting a good fight one spreadsheet at a time. I'm, I've been working, I started my career working in media. I, I worked for a B2B media company and then I worked at Mashable uh, doing marketing and events um, and got really actively involved in, you know, the community there that was focused around social good and impact. And we did an annual event called the Social Good Summit, which allowed me the opportunity to get to work with the UN Foundation, um, the UN Development Program, 92nd Street Y, all these organizations focused on the sustainable development goals set by the, the UN and were discussed during the UN General Assembly. And it really allowed me to get immersed in information around these important goals. Um, and after being there for a while, I, you know, I worked in marketing in various organizations and consulting. I was consulting with Time's Up uh, for a while while they were launching, which was another amazing opportunity to connect with women and organizations and groups who were doing amazing work to help create a safe and equitable space for women of all kind. Um, and then, you know, in that, in that similar vein, I, I started working with someone who was looking to launch an organization around social impact and bringing together um, brands and nonprofits and influencers to make real social change. And how can we make, how can we allow these, you know, different groups of people with various superpowers around these areas collaborate, discuss, and really move the needle on important issues from gender equity and inclusion, climate change, uh, equitable justice, um, and, and mental health, and so on. Um, and then recently, I, I joined this other startup. So I, I joined Gijo. Um, you know, it was an organization, it was a company that was, that was spawned out of what was going on with the pandemic and realizing that there's a community of uh, you know, experienced trainers who have, you know, are doing everything they can to help, you know, support people's health and wellness goals by inviting them to Zoom meetings, asking them to Venmo donations, and, you know, trying to make, a, you know, a business for themselves virtually and trying to support the people that they've been guiding through health and wellness for, you know, however long, um, who are now distanced from them. And so, the idea for Gijo is create a platform where, you know, these trainers who are certified, who have experience, who are um, available to really help support people in, the, in these areas, where they can host their own business, where they can, um, you know, set their prices, where they can make their schedule. And it's all in one place versus a Zoom versus, and then a Google Meet or then a Venmo and so on and so forth. Um, and then for clients who are looking to find trainers or fitness classes, it's, 
it's a it's a matching tool so they can say this is where i am i i have this equipment i have these goals for myself um i'm looking for a trainer that can support me in this way versus you know more of a regiment something a little bit more friendly or i have this much time in the day so on and so forth where they can be matched with trainers that meet that that say i'm in your price budget i'm available at this time i have classes that only require the equipment that you have in your apartment or or maybe you have more equipment and then and so on and so forth so that they can just say see some opportunities for them to work out and get healthy towards their goal so what what's working for them and supporting the trainers directly who are hosting those classes and so i thought you know with everything going on this was something that could really benefit a large community and be something that people want to utilize. People want to work out. They want to support their trainers. And they also want to find trainers that make sense for them. I've matched with a trainer who's in Idaho who I've been working out with amazingly. They would never would have met otherwise. And um, she's, you know, it's been, you know, really enjoyable. And we're in beta mode right now. We'll be launching this spring. And it's been great to sort of build up the community and hear from these trainers and have them talk about what they've been going through. And, um, I've really been loving it. Yeah, I mean, I I obviously know all about you, Joan. I'm so excited for you guys to launch because I am the, okay, I'll do a, an internet workout, but then I'll just press pause and I'll just sit down instead of doing burpees, you know, when, when you have somebody there being like, no, get up, You're, it's your time, you gotta go. It's a totally different experience. And like, yes, to your absolutely. point, the- the fitness community has been really hit extremely hard, you know, during the pandemic. And even though they're reopened, a lot of the classes and the trainers aren't really working like they used to. And I, I know a lot of people in that community and um, our agency, Direct Agents, has done a really great job of like hiring trainers to host fitness classes for our agency and, and supporting local trainers. But, it, you know, for, for everyone else across the, the United States, I think it's really important what you guys are doing. So I'm sure it has been so well received. Yeah, I mean, and I and I think a lot of people are getting are people are that are planning on working working out from home and continuing that as part of their routine. Um, it was something that was already in in the starting and becoming a bit of a trend before the pandemic, with a lot of other platforms that were becoming available for at home fitness. And it's it is a convenience that people are interested in continuing and you know, it can be available for them, even if it's mixed in with in some things in person. So um, I think it's, I think it's definitely something that, um, that people have, people will like enjoy the opportunity to be able to find, to be matched with people, a, a trainer who's outlined to support their, their personal goals. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to our launch. It's been a really great journey building so far. So Natasha, on every episode, what we're doing is really focusing on a specific topic as it relates to to women and women's careers and their career prog- progression. So our first topic um, that we wanted to talk about with you was was imposter syndrome. And if, if you're not familiar with imposter syndrome, which I would actually be very shocked if people were not, I feel like this is one of the things that is talked about quite frequently. It's basically the experience of feeling like a phony, that at any moment you're gonna be found out, no matter how successful you are, that you don't belong and you really just got there through 
through dumb luck. So <clears throat> Natasha, we're going to dive all into kind of the deep stuff about imposter syndrome. And, and you and I kind of had a, a side conversation about it. But to begin, I would just love to hear from you. You know, is this something from your perspective, you obviously had such interesting experience, you know, from the social good and now working at a startup, et cetera. Is this something that like you ever struggled with? Is this something that you still struggle with? Or I would love to just kind of hear what your, your journey with imposter syndrome really has been. I mean, yes, yes to all of the above. It's definitely something I'm, I've struggled with and continue to struggle with. Um, I think earlier in my career when I was younger and I, 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 I felt like the imposter syndrome was like, was about, can I do this task? Can I, it was, I would almost say more quantitative, like I need to show that I can get this many responses and that will be, that will be the, how people will know that I, I'm worthy of this role. And I'm, I'm good enough to do these things. And sort of as you go up the ladder and the chain, I think it becomes more qualitative where are they really considering my opinion um, as valued and do I really have, am I really in a position to give my opinion because they're, they, it may not seem, you know, that I'm really smart enough or, or I, they might find out that I, 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 it's not strong enough to be, to be valued. So I guess, you know, I think it goes, to, I, I feel for myself, I've gone through a bit of a journey as to sort of how I want to, how I, how you want to feel confident in yourself. But I do always feel that I do always have moments where I'm, there's, a, I'm questioning myself or are they going to find out that I secretly have no idea what I'm doing, which I, it, I know isn't true from a practical standpoint, but those moments still always emerge. And um, it's one of those things that I think uh, you know, I'll always have to sec stop myself and acknowledge, hey, you're having, this may not be the, the uh, logical, you know, thought, like you need to think it through and, and, um, and realize that you are worthy and you do deserve to be here and you're here for a reason. Yeah, I used to have this joke with friends, and obviously this is an exaggeration, but I'd always used to say that, like, I was convinced at any moment I'm going to turn into, like, a homeless cat lady, right? And even though I've been building this, like, successful career over the last, you know, 16 years, and I don't even like cats, that's just, like, for some reason, this feeling that I had that, like, to your point, that I've been somehow faking it, and, like, I am the only one that has not been found out somehow. So it's really... It, it, is this kind of like interesting phenomenon, especially, you know, obviously I think it, it affects a lot of different people, but especially women and, and women of color, even, even more so. Um, and, you know, we were chatting earlier this week and I, I was telling you that I was like, okay, we're going to hone in on, on imposter syndrome. And I said, you know, I, I, I like this topic, but I actually really hate this topic too, because I always feel, and I always have felt that imposter syndrome and the way it's talked about is that it's, it's your problem, right? It's like, it's you as a woman, all you need to do is change your mindset or attend this seminar or like read this book and trick yourself into not feeling this way. And yeah, like, there's stuff that helps and and I want to eventually go into kind of how you you cope with that but I really think that it it affects women because it's a systemic bias that 
is happening, you know, for women, especially, like I said, women of color that make us feel this way. So while it's important to talk about all of our experiences and ways to fix it, like, I do think that, you know, we are in, we feel this imposter syndrome because of some of the biases that we encounter every single day, every single month, every single year. And yes, again, we can work on ways to fix it, but we really do need to think about more of a systemic solution other than just telling women to like be more confident, you know? Right. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's, I mean, that ultimately is like, there's a reason we have come to this point where so many women feel this way and have these, these, you know, m- moments of, of, you know, imposter syndrome. I mean, for, you know, thinking back to all the time, you know, where you're sitting in, in a room and talking to somebody and they're like, well, you know, job titles don't really matter. And except for obviously their job title and, they're therefore they're still don't, for some reason don't want to acknowledge that you deserve this new job title or all of those times where you're in conversations where somebody where you, they talk about having being grateful for what you where you are and I'm so you know you should feel so grateful to have this opportunity and it's like yeah I mean I am grateful but you know those kinds of like that kind of language sometimes I you know makes gives this indication of you don't deserve it so therefore you should be grateful and i think that those kinds of those kinds of practices that oftentimes occur in the workplace lead to and encourage these like ongoing um feelings of of you know that you don't belong there um and it's it's not enough to say yeah like just be more confident in yourself you've got this um, is also have to, we also have to say like, why are we can continuing to support a workspace that is allowing people to feel that way? Yeah. And I mean, it, I feel like a lot of it comes down to these, like really like to your point, things that have happened and like small, like microaggressions too against women. And like just the, you know, you walk into a room with like a male colleague who might be junior and they're the, they're the one that people present to and not you. And you're like, hello, like, am I not, am I not here? Am I not competent enough for you to talk to me? Um, and I know the, the other thing we talked about is even, you know, getting your leadership style questioned, like, you know, especially if you have, um, colleagues, bosses, whether they're male or female that, that lead in one way and you might lead in a totally different way and feeling like your way of leading isn't, isn't the right way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do. I was, I, yeah. And I told you the story about one time when I was younger, I remember someone saying to me as I was, you know, becoming a manager, they're like, I remember them saying to me, like, you, sh- you need to be a bitch, be a bitch. And I remember thinking, I don't want to be a bitch. Can I, can I show leadership in a way that doesn't involve me being mean? Like, why do I have to be a bitch? And it's this, this sort of like, you know, you have to be tough or fierce or dominant. And that's, that's not genuine to me. It doesn't come out as authentic. I'm a little bit more, I'm a goofy gal. Like I it won't translate well. I don't think people would respond well to it. And I don't, I don't feel comfortable talking that way. And yeah, I was, I was just sort of like, why do I have to be a bitch? I don't want to, you know, and I, I had to, I had to work on fighting my own voice as I'm sure lots of other, you know, women, women of color have to, 
do for how they want to show their authority that feels genuine to them. And there's nothing wrong with strength and confidence and being being tough and fierce. And the, the other side of that coin is those at women who are being told to smile more and you have to be more like they can't be serious or they can't be, you know, you know, uh, have a, a strong, you know, tone around something. Um, and either way, it feels like, why are you in, in, you know, dictating how that person can lead? Yeah. And I always feel like for women, and I think this probably leans into imposter syndrome a little bit. We always, or at least this has my, been my experience and I've, I've seen it frequently on social media and attending conferences. So I'm assuming it's a lot of people's experiences, but being told we're too something, right? You're too mean, you're too nice, you're too difficult, you're too bitchy, you're too something. And like being told that your personality or how you express yourself is like, to whatever is not, it doesn't instill confidence then that you are actually like doing the right thing or worthy or whatever it might be. This pandemic, like I read obviously a lot about like leadership and, and things in my spare time. And if anything, I think that there's been a really big focus on more authentic leadership now that yeah, yeah I think like, so. yeah, right. People are responding more to it. And I think that to your point, like if that wasn't like being bitchy wasn't authentic to you, like that would come out. People aren't going to like, they see it. People see through, you know, whatever that would be, you know? Yeah. Like it, it people can, people are looking for authenticity and they respond well to authenticity with people with each other. And so, you know, I think that in, for myself, what I have found is that transparency and leadership could go a lot, a lot further than, exclusivity, where you're saying, this is what leadership is stressed about. This is what's keeping people up at night. If you can come and work with us understanding that, now we have an inclusive space where we're talking about it and you're in the room on the same level versus this, you, you know, you, you're not part of this world and this is how, this is how leadership is over here and versus you over there. I, I think it creates a much better more authentic environment for people to grow and learn and work within that space. But I also just genuinely think that, that it's, you know, a fairer, it's a fairer and um, it makes people feel more like they belong in the room. If they, if they're not constantly thinking to themselves, well, I don't know enough to say anything. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I mean, the other thing, and um, Catalyst, this great organization that helps promote uh, workplaces that I think it's workplaces that work for women. That's their their thing. They're, they're doing a campaign around International Women's Day and Women's Month. And um, one of the stats that they, I wrote it down because I thought it was so, super interesting. It said, uh, it's around about being the only in the room. So if you're the only only woman in the room, you are two times more likely to have your experience questions. So that's insane. Like if you are literally the only one just out of sheer like stats, you are then going to have your experience question more than everyone else, even though you are like to your point, like you have valid opinions. And if you're getting your experience or your statements or whatever it is question, like that doesn't really give you a lot of like um, want to speak up, you know, at the next meeting, you know, and and to your point, I think like creating this like inclusive environment, like creates a lot of loyalty from an organizational standpoint. Like I think people really respond to it and really respect it. I do too. And I, and I do think that you're, if you, if you're, if you're too, too nervous to say something, 
that means that the environment has been set up in a way to make you nervous. There's something to that. Like that's to, the, to your point earlier about um, it's not just about being more confident. There, there's a reason why you feel that way, and you know it needs to be addressed. I mean, I I would say that for for anyone who's who you know who's sort of gone through this with with a colleague or a friend where you sit there and you're like, okay, here's how I'm going to prep myself. These are the things that as the as a as a woman in the meeting, I'm going to make sure I introduce myself in the first you know, three minutes, or I'm going to make sure I make at least one corresponding point. It's interesting that we always, we find, we find ourselves doing those kinds of things and setting ourselves up in that kind of way, as opposed to being able to just focus on here are the key things I want to make sure get done by in this conversation. Here are the key, um, you know, goals for this meeting. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, I definitely think that those kinds of things are helpful to get with your other, you know, like, you know, in groups like Chief and talking to people like you and saying, like, how can we help ourselves, you know, work through this? But I also think that it's telling that we have to sit there and do that as opposed to focusing on what the goal of that conversation was supposed to be, that meeting. That is, I mean, honestly, such a good point. Like the prep work that goes into us just like thinking through how we'll present it so we're not perceived as too difficult or too nice or or whatever it might be. And let me make sure I look a certain way so I feel, you know, that I'm perceived as more um, authoritative or whatever it might be. It is like this whole other world that if we could just like go in and say our piece and do the job, it would be totally, totally different. And, you know, like, I don't know about, you know, you and, and kind of the makeup of, of, you know, your previous managers at, at organizations. But yeah, if you are in a, especially if you're the only one or one of the only women in the room, I mean, I've, I've had those meetings with even women that I work with where they pull me aside and go, oh, hey, this is how I'm going to approach X and Y. And can you make sure to back me up in that meeting? Can you make sure to, you know, if somebody tries to speak over me, can you say, no, so-and-so has a good point? And like the, the, the fact that they even have to do that is a little ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And I, I've definitely had those conversations with other women in organizations. And I've definitely had those conversations with, you know, people who I've, uh, who I've helped, ma I've managed and how to, you know, make sure that they feel like heard and know that they deserve to be heard. Um, I had, I, for a while, there was an article, it was, it was from a while ago, and I, I probably shouldn't because I can't remember it exactly, but it spoke <laughs> about, it, it, it specifically spoke about women around a table all agreeing that they were going to make sure after someone makes a point that they were going to say, um, Megan, that was a great point. And this is why I like it. So that there would always be a second person to acknowledge it because otherwise it didn't necessarily happen. And so that as a team, they had made this decision that they were going to do this for each other so that whenever one of the other women made a, made a point or statement that somebody validated it, you know, thereafter. And I remember thinking that that was so great that they were doing that for each other, but it's so unfortunate that they have to. Yes. I know. I'm like, oh, I love that. I'm going to use that. I love like, it. Why do I have to use that? Again, hate putting the blame on the women because it's a systemic problem and we obviously need systemic solutions, but we're not also trying to wait for like 30 years from now, 50 years from now. So I guess my question to you is obviously something that you went through and something that you continue to deal with. So for you, how did you go about kind of changing that mindset or how did you go about kind of tackling it? Were there, you know, 
specific steps or, or things that you did to to help you kind of get over that imposter syndrome, even if it's something that's kind of in the back of your mind? I mean, there were there have been a couple of things that I've I've first of all I've allowed myself to realize. Guess what? I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes in life, and there are still going to be things in my professional career that I'm going to have to learn and develop because. That's just every human being. And I do think that there is something about, feel, you know, for women sometimes to feel that they are valid for this, this position, that they have to be flawless in it. Um, and I know that I'm not. I'm, I'm, I have flaws. So in case no one knew that already, now I'm letting you know, I have flaws. Um, but also that, um, you know, I've, and I talked to this about, you know, you know, with my colleagues, I've talked to this about with my current boss and previous employers where I say, where I say, you know, I'm going to unapologetically ask questions when I don't fully understand or know something. And I, I must be allowed to do that so that I can continue to learn and grow. Um, in whatever, it could be something that seemingly should have been obvious to whoever. But I'm going to allow myself that. And I'm also going to double down and be confident and, and firm on the things that I know I'm, I, I can be an important factor in and that I'm good at and I'm strong in and that I have, you know, a big input in. And that's, that's the decision I'm making for myself. I'm allowing myself to ask questions and not feel bad about it because I have to be able to, because I have to do this job. And that means that sometimes I'm going to have to ask a question. And I think that kind of like, groundwork that I've sort of laid for myself, I could always lean back to when it, whenever I feel guilty for not knowing something or feeling I understood something good enough, which is why I might, might go into that place of feeling not worthy, where I say, remember, you've already made the decision that you're not perfect and you have stuff to work on. And this is just one of those things. Um, and it's not a foolproof plan or system, but it's just something that I started doing for myself over the past you know, for years to, to sort of pivot me back onto the, I'm happy to continue to grow and I need to continue to grow. Um, and as opposed to my needing to grow means that I'm not good enough. Yeah. And I like that you kind of touch on the perfectionist side of things. Cause I don't, I don't know if this is like a thing that is like uh, that women are, are raised to be perfectionists or, or what, but I, I definitely feel that like everything I have to do, I have to be great at like the end, you know? Yeah. And if I'm not, it makes yeah. me like question everything, you know, like I can't believe I'm not, you know, amazing at that. And it's again, really silly. Cause you never, to your point, like I'm going to ask questions. Cause if I don't ask questions then I'll never learn, I'll never keep growing. So so why, you know, why wouldn't you? Right. Why do I, why does anyone have to feel bad about wanting to understand something better? For some reason yeah. it's taboo or it's been taboo, like for this like extended period of time where you have to, you have to know everything right at that moment. And, you know, someone say, says something and then everyone else around the room, which you don't have to worry about anymore because you're doing it remotely, like Googling it quickly to make sure that they're up to speed on whatever that thing is. Um, but I mean, I just, I don't, I, I do think that it helps me. I hope it helps people who I work with know that they are should be allowed to ask questions and not be nervous to ask the question or want to learn something more or want to understand something better, whether it's inside or outside of their scope of work. Um, because 
you know, even if it's not your responsibility or if it's not within what you're doing, you know, people, some people deserve the right to understand other aspects of the business or an organization. Um, and so I, you know, I like to encourage that. I had, I had, you know, people who, you know, I used to work with, uh, one person in particular who was the CFO of one of my, the first companies I worked with. And he, I was in a meeting and they were, I was quite young in my career and he was, they were talking about like a flash budget or something. And I didn't know what they were talking about. And of course I didn't say anything. So I, I, I sent him a quick email after just being like, I, I heard this come up a lot and I'm not exactly sure what it is. Do you mind letting me know? And the next morning I got back to my desk and there was this long email about what the flash budget is versus this, you know, the regular budget and so on and so forth. And then I checked my voicemails and there was a long voice. He's like, I know I just sent you an email. I just really appreciate you asking this question. And, you know, and then he went into talking about the budget and what all the components were. And, you know, it made me feel, it made me feel, first of all, I learned what it was and I felt more comfortable going into those conversations in the future, but I also felt like safe to be able to ask questions about things. So as opposed to saying, like, it's not something you need to worry about. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so many times I've been in the room where people go, oh, it's, you know, we're going to be doing X, Y, and Z. Everyone knows what that is, right? Everyone goes, yeah, yeah. I go, you do? Like, and I'll be like, no, can, can somebody clarify it for me? And then after people be like, thank you for asking that question. I actually had no idea. Yeah. I was just going to go back and Google it, but it was like, but then like they're going to explain it to you and you the whole context. You miss the entire thing because you have no clue what they're even kind of like talking about, which is kind of crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, one of the, uh, one of the big things that I think really helps me with imposter syndrome is um, just being around a group of like other women. Like, I think Chief helps a lot. Just really being in a room with, uh, you know, five to ten other women, and then because for me, I'll be like, okay, everybody talks about imposter syndrome, and they're like, I had imposter syndrome. Like, yeah, you had imposter syndrome, but I'm a real imposter, which is like that's imposter syndrome, you know, uh, which is crazy. And just literally hearing all of these women that like come in looking so amazing, and they have this great presence, and then they sit down, and everyone's just really honest with each other about like. Like, this is what it is. And I was like, oh, dang, like, this is something that everybody is dealing with, like, all of the time, even these women that have it, quote unquote, together. Um, and it just like, yeah, just that revelation, to your point, made me feel like, oh, I don't need to be perfect. I don't need to have it all together. Like, they these women would be women that I would think are just like, you know, the, the most together, the most successful. And they're, they're struggling with the same stuff I did. And that something about that revelation definitely really helps. I think. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I, do, I think, he, and this is the other thing. It's like people weren't, are, haven't talked about it. And so hearing other women, I think you're right. It's so, it makes such a difference to know that, Oh, these people who I believed were flawless and lived a flawless life have, who are strong, incredible, accomplished women doing great things also feel these ways and also struggle with this. And it's, it doesn't stop them from being as incredible as they are in their roles and their jobs. So it doesn't lessen them, doesn't lessen me by having these feelings and for others having them. And so I, I went to a conference and I heard that once it was um, at some women leaders were talking about, you know, having it all. And someone asked them the question, someone was talking about how like, she was told, you know, asked like, how do you like do it all? How do you have it all? And she goes, I don't, I have to make hard decisions all the time. 
like let's see my family, let's see my work. Like I don't do it all. I do what as much as I can and I make decisions and I have to, you know, sometimes miss one thing here or one thing there because it's you can't do it all. You can do your best and you can do a lot. And it was kind of assuring to hear somebody else, someone say that. Because it does feel like, you know, going back to our point about perfection, there's this sort of, you know, ideal that if you're to be a successful woman, you do it all. I hate that more than I hate imposter syndrome. Like, you know what I mean? The do it all thing. Um, I did hear something and I can't remember where, maybe it's just a very common phrase. It's like you're juggling and you have to just figure out what balls are glass and what balls are rubber, right? Like what can you absolutely not drop and what is it, what's fine to, to kind of drop the ball on? And yeah, it's, it's definitely hard if you don't have that, that network of women. Like all of my previous managers and previous bosses, although they've been amazing, have all been men. So like who am I supposed to talk to about my feelings of imposter syndrome when they're like, what are you talking about? You're crazy, you know? Um, so having that support system, I think, is really really quite amazing. Yeah, I agree. And and being able to talk about things that, again, like asking questions that you feel like you just, you, you, you don't know, and you need somebody who's in a similar, who understands from a similar perspective. So like, for example, the first time I started looking for work as an exec, at an executive level, I remember talking to some women in, our, in chief about this and saying, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do as an executive. Am I supposed to just stand here and wait for someone to be like, come to me because I'm so amazing and I can't belittle myself by like, apply for a job. like, am I supposed to write cover letters? So like, no one sits there and tells you this is what it, it's like, you know, you, this is what you, you know, what you have to do to put yourself out there as an executive versus someone that's sort of starting out versus someone who's in the middle of their career. And heaven forbid, I accidentally make myself look too desperate. Like I'm therefore not worthy of being in, a, in that kind of a role. Um, and I just needed someone to be like, to help to talk me through what they'd been through. And that's, you know, some having that sort of community of, you know, women. And again, because like, heaven forbid, I put myself out there for a job and someone looks at it and says like, who does this person think she is applying for this role? And, you know, it's obviously it's not like that. And, um, but yeah, getting to have that network to talk to about it is super, is super helpful and supportive. Yeah. And having sponsors and mentors that look like you, like, I always think of, it must be so interesting to kind of probably be a man in, in, in your position or my position that, cause you're probably just getting that advice on the regular, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, it's just, you take it for granted. And if you don't have the support or the sponsorship, like to your point, chief has been great. Cause you could just find people who are, you're saying, okay, I'm up leveling. I'm going for a C-suite position. What do I need to do? Like, how are you supposed to know? There's not just like a Google doc of being like, Hey, here's the three things that you need to check off. Um, so it's super, I think I, I've, I found it very helpful to have, have a network, have that network and have women, you know, and others, in, you know, to your point, mentors who look, uh, and who are who've gone through similar to what you've gone through. I do think to what you're saying, though, oftentimes in the best of situations, even like someone who, someone can sit across the table or see, a, you know, somebody come in and work for them and be like, oh, this reminds me of a younger version of myself. I'm going to give them all of the, you know, insights to help them grow because, you know, they remind me of a younger version of me. Unfortunately, if all the people that were in that position or look one set way, 
then the people that they're giving that guidance to and sort of bringing under their wing end up also looking a certain way or being from a certain community. So, you know, finding, you know, finding the way to share that guidance and those insights with, you know, a, a larger community is definitely something that would really help, I think, impact people having to struggle with imposter syndrome. A hundred percent. Like just the lack of div- typical diversity at the senior levels, like, <clears throat> and it's just human nature. Like can't even fault people for, for wanting to surround themselves with people who look like them. That is like literally just our nature, but it really does put women, people of color, just at a disadvantage, just in generally. Um, so super interesting. Um, so to close every episode, um, we have kind of some closing, closing questions that I, I want to get kind of a perspective on from all of our guests. So, um, the first one is, you know, what piece of advice would you give to any woman who might be the only woman at the table or a woman who is trying to get a seat at the table? I'd love kind of your perspective on what you would recommend them doing. You know just as much as everybody else around that table. And they need to learn just as much as you and everyone else at that table. And I think the the concern that everyone else in the room knows more or is more informed than you is, isn't true. It's not true. Everyone's making guesses and trying to figure things out as they go along. Um, and you're just as worthy of making those, learning those things and making those decisions as anybody else. Um, I don't, I don't know that that advice necessarily gets them to the table the way, you know, like, a, like a real like tactic would. Um, but I, you know, I just, I, 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 I hope that that helps people feel like they shouldn't hesitate from taking that step. Yeah. And I mean, encouraging people who might not feel worthy to speak up because, you know, the way you get to the table is, is by speaking up, by, you know, going above and beyond, by making a difference at your organization. And you're not going to do that if you're just kind of quietly doing your job, you know? So I do really love, I, I do love that advice. And any, <clears throat> any of the women at my organization probably know, like I tell them this all of the time. I'm like, take up space, be loud, say your piece. You know what I mean? They're like, well, I've only been here. I was like, does it matter? It's just talk guaranteed. The dude next to you has something to say and it's not that interesting. And you actually have a really <laughs> unique perspective. So like, let's hear it. Let's go, yeah. you know? Um, and I, I also think it's really interesting and, and helpful from a marketing perspective too, because having diverse perspectives, if you really only have one perspective, then that is really going to hurt. Like we're both in marketing. So like that really will hurt an execution of any campaigns or anything you're launching if you don't have that that diverse perspective. So you're not just doing yourself a disservice, you're doing kind of your organization a disservice too. Yeah, absolutely. And having diverse voices in the room is, that is the game changer, is the ultimate game changer. Um, for whatever, you're, whatever your organization's doing, whether it's creating a better culture for, in their environment, to creating a good campaign, to, you know, so many other things. It's, it can only benefit an organization. Yeah. I mean, there have been many times where I'll look at something and be like, yeah, you you can't do that. 
you know, did nobody say this was not okay? This is not okay. And then the final question. So I really, um, I like this one because I feel like to your point, you know, about the the group of women who would, you know, pipe in and say, oh, well, yes, so-and-so has a great point. Natasha has a great point. And to that point, X, Y, and Z, because I do feel like in general, you know, we, we do need to do a better job. We shouldn't have to, but we do need to do a better job of kind of advocating for each other. Um, and it's so important in career growth, you know, if you had somebody at your organization saying like, oh my God, Natasha is completely irreplaceable. Everything she says is amazing. You know, like that changes the perception of, of you at your organization. So if we're actually there singing each other's praises in a really authentic way, you know, I do think we wouldn't maybe have as much of a problem with kind of imposter syndrome. So my last question or the last thing I want to ask from you is to promote one woman. And this could be literally like the most, it could be like Michelle Obama, or it could be just some woman at your organization that you think is just doing the most amazing work, but I'd love to just hear you kind of promote one woman. It's a great, I love this. This is amazing. And I, can I promote 50,000 women? Oh my God, please promote them all. So, you know, I would, there's actually a, a woman who I used to work with. Her name is Kristen Nimmo and she's launched an organization called Good Works. And it's around allyship and it's around, um, you know, understanding and supporting, um, you know, from within your organization, communities, and it's talking about really important, important uh, issues. And I, I probably can't even do justice to what she's uh, to describing what what her organization is doing. Um, and I just am so impressed with how, you know, she has brought this company together and made this, you know, this important movement. Um, and I'm just inspired by all the work that she does. And um, I look at her, uh, her, what she's putting out there, the conversations that she's having, and, you know, uh, I continue to be inspired. So she would be someone that I would definitely love to amplify and, and, and highlight because I've been admirer of her, of her work. I love that. And we'll put a link to her um, company in the show notes, as well as a link to Jijo when it launches, which I'm so, again, really pumped for. Thank you. Um, but I think that's just about it for us today. Natasha, thank you so much again for coming on. We really do appreciate your perspective. It has been absolutely amazing. And good luck on your continued success at, at Jijo. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you. Yes, very fun. All right. I will talk to you soon.